Hey there, it's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week, I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with Scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. Several episodes ago, I was talking with my friend Boz Chavidjan, and we were talking about friendship. And a lot of you responded to this. You liked how you had two friends really just wrestling through what does it mean to be a friend. We use this term all the time, but do we really know what we're saying in that moment? Because That's one of those words, it's kind of like the word love. A lot of people say they love something, but in reality, they're just saying that they like, like something. They're, They're kind of enthused about it. They're a fan of it. But friendship is more than just being a fan of someone. It's more than having an interaction with someone to where it was positive and you both left feeling good. I venture to guess that friendship is deeper than that. And there are probably people in our lives that we call friends who at best, I mean, at best, are acquaintances. They're people that we may not want to let into the darkest parts of our lives. But a true friend, that's someone who's going to stick close to you no matter what. And that's also someone who may tell you the truth when you don't want to hear it, but they'll be there for the aftermath. And so after that talk, that really set me on a journey. I wanted to learn more about friendship, and I wanted to share it with you all. Phil's father died suddenly when he was 21. He had an undiagnosed heart condition. Phil was later diagnosed with the same heart condition. And in 2020, his mother died of cancer. Following the death of his mother, he and his family were at an all-time low. But it was in that moment that he experienced true friendship. Phil Knox is an evangelist, speaker, and missiologist at the Evangelical Alliance. He is also the author of The Best of Friends, Choose Wisely, Care Well. He is married to Danny, and they have two sons, Caleb and Josiah. He is also a performance poet and the author of Story Bearer. Phil, welcome to the MercyCast. Hey, Riley, what a great joy to be with you. And so you are in this situation You have already experienced the death of your father, and I'm sure that was triggered and memories were flooding back as you were dealing with your mother's cancer and then her passing soon after. Yeah, very much so. I think, yeah, and and even down to when she did uh, die, kind of going through the house and seeing all the bits, all all that bringing back all kinds of memories. It was a really depressing time, actually, and, and and the pandemic was happening at the same time. This was 2020. So there was the discouragement, the disappointment, the whole Feeling world. completely out of control. Yeah, the whole world was going through a degree of trauma. And yet I had very personal trauma at the same time. So the, the whole, whole season was, was really, really challenging. But it was during this time of just absolute darkness, right? Like, and we were all experiencing this. But what I try to tell people when we talk about the pandemic, I've had some people say, well, my experience wasn't as bad as this person's or as, and I'm like, you got to stop. Like there's the pandemic impacted us all. 
and yeah. everyone had a unique experience and it's okay to feel what you felt. And you're in your own personal just pain that you're going through. And I'm sure that it was very easy to feel like no one gets this. No one understands this. How can I relate with people? But it was during that time that people came around you and your family. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, we were just so unbelievably loved. So we had our kitchen look like a florist. Our living room looked like a card shop. You know, we didn't cook a meal for almost three months during that season. And it was it was even kind of before that, before the death of mum and, and during. And I think what I found really useful, I wonder if there's any listeners here who who have either been through grief and they, this resonates with them, or they're a friend to someone going through grief at the moment. And often people will say, if there's anything I can do. And my encouragement is, that's 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 really lovely and helpful, but what's more helpful is just do something. And if you're grieving, my encouragement is also be really upfront about what you about what you want. And so with some friends, I I actually you know my my instinct was often to withdraw, but with other friends, I just really wanted to go for a socially distanced walk. Or actually, what I needed was a meal or. Or, but but I, th- I think that was that was the key. But the thing I would say, the overarching story is that friends made all the difference. Two things got me through that darkest season of my life, faith and friendship. So I just became captivated by this beautiful God-given gift of friendship. Well, Phil, you mentioned this idea of suffering and this experience that you had, but you also bring up something that I think is very unique and needed for this conversation. You talk about grieving with boundaries. When you're grieving, telling the person, this is what I need. This is what I don't need. I have gone through grief where I will tell people, give me two weeks and then please reach out. Like press pause. I know you want to talk right now. Give me two weeks. Let me, let me do some 10 mile walks. Let me wrap my head around what's happening, but don't let me run away. Come back to me, please. Because mm. I love the enthusiasm. I love that you want to talk to me right now, but but here's kind of my boundaries in it. And I think sometimes when you're grieving, it's complicated by the fact that everyone's flying blind. Like no one really knows what to say. It's like you go to a funeral and you look at someone and you're like, how you doing? You know exactly how they're doing. Not good. Like they're struggling, they're grieving, they're mourning. But I love what you said. Like it's our responsibility to kind of tell people what we need, but you also encourage the person who wants to help to rather than just lip service, say, I'm just going to do this for you. And if that person doesn't want it, they can say no. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and do things that are, are, that can be non-intrusive. So one, one friend bought me just a giant cookie. I'd never seen anything like it. It was, it was half a meter in, in diameter. And he just came and he said, do you want to sit and talk? Here's a giant cookie. And it actually, I, I, we chatted for about half an hour and it was beautiful. But there were other moments where it was that kind of time when it was, everyone was doing a Zoom quiz. It was excruciating. Do you, remember, do you remember those awful evenings? Everyone's doing a Zoom quiz. And in those moments, I, I just didn't want to be there. And it was okay for me to withdraw. I, I think we walk along this path of, of it's complete isolation is really dangerous, but right. also is just carrying on as normal. You know, I, I re- in, in, a, in the couple of weeks in the immediate aftermath, 
it was okay for me to play more computer games than usual. It was okay for me to eat more takeaway than was healthy for me in that initial moment. But but if I'm still doing that six months later, there's a problem. But I think in the in that immediate aftermath, that that give yourself a wide, kind berth to walk mm. slowly. Don't completely isolate yourself, but with friends, be really honest about actually saying, I do want to spend time with you. I don't want to spend time with you. And a giant cookie will be great. Well, and I love that you are the first person in the history of the Mercy Cast to describe a cookie using the metric system. So I wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and what what about that cookie spoke to you in that moment? Because oftentimes when we experience grief or when we're going through something, I've had people give me gift cards. I've had people bring food. But this cookie stands out for you. Why the cookie? Tell me about it was, the cookie. It wasn't about the cookie. It, it was wasn't. the fact. It was a. It was the fact that my friend Barry loved me enough to 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 make something and drive ten miles to deliver it to me. That was the thing that meant everything. And and I had lots of people like that. I had a friend John who just took me for a socially distanced walk, and it was awkward and stilted. But he said, "This is what." This is what we're going to do. And I think it, in the moments of grief, you, you want people to be thinking of you, but you also need to think about what you want so you don't tip over the edge of that wide berth of, of complete isolation or complete carrying on as usual. And so, yeah, it wasn't about the cookie, but it was about what the cookie represented. The cookie represented sacrifice. This person is pressing pause on whatever they have going on. and. You are their focal point and they want you to know that you're loved, that they are there. And sometimes cookies speak louder than words. I had a friend send me a Chili's gift card after I went through a really difficult season in the pandemic. And I'll never forget a friend saying, I know you're going through a hard time. I want you to get some Chili's because I love terrible chain restaurants and no disrespect to Chili's. You guys are doing great. But you know, sometimes... Sometimes you just, you just want it. You, you want that chain restaurant. And, but it was, it was less about the chilies and more about what the chilies represented. And so that's what it sounds like to you. And then the friend who walked with you, just kind of being there. Tell me about this power of presence that kind of intersects our own grieving. Yeah. A lot of people ask me, having, having investigated friendship, what are the kind of core ingredients? How do you, how do you deepen relationship? And for me, there are, there are four key ingredients. There are, there's time, vulnerability, sacrifice, and presence. And, and uh, there, there is the, the, the wonderful technology that we have to connect one another to around the world is amazing. I'm delighted we didn't do the pandemic during the era of the fax machine. But, but, I, but there are no substitutes to actually being physically with one another. And so I would say one, a core ingredient for friendship is presence. Seeing the actual white of one another's eyes, feeling the, the physical presence of, of one another. And, and to, to, be honest, to be honest, I don't remember much about that walk, but I remember having a friend with me and it was the physical presence that that made all the difference. I think of think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he goes to the cross, you know, and and the fact he wanted Peter, James, and John with him, his closest inner circle in that moment. 
it was almost certainly because he just wanted the presence of others. And when we when we go through our own Gethsemanes, our own valleys, Gethsemane literally means oil press. It's the moment where Jesus is under the most physical and spiritual and emotional pressure. We need the presence of others. It is not good for us to be alone. And and that walk, along with other moments of people being with me, uh, made all the difference in my grief. And you're touching on something that I wanted to ask you anyway. How would you define friendship? I'm going to lean on the definition of a great friend of mine who says that a friend is someone who does four things. They're someone you can talk to, someone you can depend on, someone you can grow with, and someone you can enjoy. And I love, I love those four aspects of friendship. Depend on, talk to, grow with, and enjoy. Uh, I, I can't do better than that, so I've, I've nicked a friend's definition. So friendship although that, is... Although, although that's beautiful in itself, isn't it? The fact that I've got a friend who, I, who, I, who I'm depending on in, in this moment. <laughs> that's beautiful because that is friendship. And you use this example of Jesus a couple of moments ago where he probably had the quote-unquote friends that a lot of us have. Like he's speaking to the masses. And if you talk to a lot of... Well, you talk to anyone, we kind of, like I said earlier when I was starting this, that we can use that term very liberally. Like, well, that's my friend. That's my friend. Well, what do we mean by that? Because when he was about to go through it, he didn't even bring all 12 of his closest friends. He brought those three. And even those three fell asleep when he was praying. But I think there's something we often overlook when we talk about that, because I've heard that passage preached a million different times. And when people say, well, look at his friends, how good of friends were they? Because they fell asleep. And I'm like, yeah, but they were there. Yes, friendship is not a perfect thing and it never was meant to be a perfect thing. But I love the fact that in his darkest moment, whether they were awake or asleep, they were with Jesus in the garden. And I think that's often overlooked. They could have stayed at home. They could have slept. They, they could have been like, Jesus, it's like 3 a.m., man. I mean, I don't know. I, I love you and all, but like, I'm tired. I had a rough week. They didn't do any of that. They were there. And I think we often overlook that. And I, I love how you talk about it's someone we can depend on, someone we can talk with, someone we can grow with. And you mentioned these four aspects that key in any friendship is making time, being vulnerable sacrificing, and being present. If we want to look through our friendships through this rubric, through these four things, or through the definition that you gave us, what advice would you give us for determining who are our real friends? I found a really helpful exercise is to kind of think about friends in circles. And so to, to even, I would, I would encourage people to draw your circles of friends. So what's fascinating and what I've found since investigating friendship over the last few years is that the leading anthropologists uh, and the leading anth anthropologist in the UK? It's a guy called Robin Dunbar, and uh, and his his research. What he tried to do is he tried to work out based on the size of our brains, what's our capacity for the maximum amount of friends we can have, and he worked out you can have about 150 friends, and he's not Christian. And then he said, how many good friends can you have? He worked out you can have about 12 good friends. Then he said, how many great friends can you have? And he worked out you can have about three great friends. And I'm reading this and I'm like, that sounds really familiar. And it turns out when the guy who claims to be God came to change the world, 
he had very, very similar circles of friends. And so my encouragement would be to kind of draw circles of friends. Who are those who are in your real inner circle? Who are those kind of three who you're going to, who you're really journeying with? Who are the 12? Who are your good friends? And then who are, who is that wider circle of the 150? And so thinking about who's in each circle, but then thinking about who are the people who need to move between the circles? And so often when I talk to people and when I've been through this exercise in my own life, there've been people who've been maybe in that kind of circle of 12 who who I've just felt prompted to say, actually, I need a deeper relationship with them. And so even if you, you know, you might even choose to do this physically as you draw your circles and put the names in each, you know, to draw an arrow inward. And and the secret then to, to increasing the level of intimacy with a friend are those four things, spending more time with them, increasing your level of sacrifice and presence and vulnerability. There is nothing like vulnerability to unlocking deeper levels of trust in friendship. When we open our hearts to others, and this is why actually, Rally, you, what you're doing is so valuable between kind of the, the kind of compassion and the suffering around this stuff, because actually it's through our suffering and through our failures and through our challenges that we have the opportunity to open our heart and really deepen those levels of friendship. That's certainly been my experience. So, so I heard someone once say, if you want acquaintances, tell them about your successes. But if you want friends, tell them about your fears and your failures. And, mm. and that's why this conversation is so important. No, that is so good. And I love how you talk about the inner circle versus the outer circle versus this greater circle. And you talk about how people can move from circle to circle to circle. And as you're talking about this, it reminds me of the great American pastime, baseball. With baseball, you have what we call minor leagues and major leagues. In the minor leagues, they're people who, they're not getting paid much, they're traveling all year, but they want to play in the majors. And they may stay in a minor league team for like years. But if they get their shot, they move up. And I think oftentimes we can be like professional baseball. We can look at the people that are in our greater friend group and say, you know what, I love, and and I'm not trying to be transactional in this because I don't think friendship is, is transactional per se at all by any means. And I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is as you keep people close with boundaries, you can see, well, I think I want to invest more in that friendship. And I think we would be a better fit. Ernest Hemingway was once asked, how do I learn to trust people? And he looked at the guy and he said, you trust them. Because if you trust someone and you realize that was a bad idea, well, that kind of answers your question. And I think the same way with being vulnerable, if you're vulnerable to someone and it's not received well, well, maybe this person is, is going to just kind of stay out of circle. Maybe they're, maybe they're kind of a good time Larry, like they're fun at a party, but Maybe they're not fun when your whole world is turned upside down, but other people will present themselves and show themselves. And then you're doing the same thing in their lives. Like you might be that good friend to someone during a time. And then all of a sudden you're closer because you've shared that vulnerability. You've been sacrificial, you've been present and you've given up your time. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty key. Would you agree with kind of my assessment there or would you push back? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess what I want to respond to is the is the good and bad news that we can't be friends with everyone. I think mm. we need an honest conversation around friendship that that we have we are finite human beings with limited relational capacity 
And yet we live in a world that tells us that we can ever have everything. And the reality is that when we, if we take those core values of time and presence, we, we cannot, we, we cannot have, and especially where we are time poor and, and we're already stretched and, and we are 41% of us in the Western world are, are knowledge workers, which means we're thinking at work, which means that by the time it gets to the end of the day, we are relationally in the red. All of this means that I'm not surprised why there's so many people who say they're lonely and struggle in friendship. You know, in the, in the, in the UK, one in three men say they have no close friends. 40% of young adults say they always or often feel lonely. And yet we live in the most connected generation in yeah. history. We have technology that can connect us to anyone around the planet. And I'm not surprised that we find friendship hard because we are spreading ourselves so thinly across so many acquaintances. As I've researched the book, so many friends, so many leaders, so many people have said, you know, I've got loads of great mates, but I've got no one who I can call when the storms hit the shores of my life. And I think we, we need a good conversation, an honest conversation with ourselves and with others. And that doesn't mean we can't be friends. As you say, the word friend covers a whole layer of people, but we do need a few people who we are disproportionately investing our time and energy with. My best friend, Adam, if I go more than a week without seeing him, something within me, I feel that friendship decaying and mm. I've got to invest that time. I've got to go and see him. And if I don't, that friendship will decay. And, and the same is true with a couple of others in my inner circle. I've got to prioritize those friendships and be intentional about investing that time because if I don't, I'm in trouble. And you mentioned Dunbar's assessment of how we can manage about 150 quote-unquote friends, but then when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, really only have 12 close friends and then three intimate friendships, like very intimate friendships, which, yeah, I agree with you. That is so wild that God had that all figured out. I mean, I'm not shocked, but like he definitely figured out the calculus of that. It's you know, like, it's like Jesus had some kind of advanced knowledge, isn't it? I mean, I, I right? wouldn't know where he would get that from. No idea. <laughs> but it's so funny when a cultural anthropologist agrees wholeheartedly with what is revealed plainly in scripture. Yeah. And so we can rest in the fact that it's okay to have a small group of friends. I was talking with a friend of mine right after I got back from the Camino de Santiago, where I was processing it a little bit with him. And I told him, I said, you know what, Brad, at this stage of my life, I don't have a lot of close friends. I'm like, how many close friends do you think you have? And he goes, 15 at most. And this is a guy who knows everyone, but he's like, it's closer to that 12 number. And, and I'm the same way. I'm, but, but I also have just a few friends who I'll call when I'm like, hey, I made a mistake and I'm hurting. And I'm hurting because of something I did. Sometimes it's something that, was, that happened to me or that I was impacted by, but it's those people that you can share your fears and your failures with. I think you said that so eloquently that you don't worry about them leaving you. You don't worry about them running away. They may speak truth to you, but what I've found even with those friends is when I'm ready for law, when I'm ready for them to be like, you should have done this or you could have done that, they're just like, man, that's unfortunate and I'm sorry that you're going through it. And I love you. Yeah. And then you deal with it, you don't avoid it, but 
they're there. And, and I think those have been the most beautiful friendships in my life are the people yeah. who they don't run away when they see vulnerability or they don't run away when, when I'm not on my A game. Yeah. And those are the people I invest in yeah. because I know those are the people that are going to stick around. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the thing. And so you, you talk about how true friendship intimate friendship is probably a little bit harder to come by than we'd like to think. But in doing that, like, I think we have some agency here. I think we get to choose our friends. I have said this before on the podcast that the friends that you choose can either be an act of self-loathing or self-care. And so as you've studied this, how do we choose friends? Hmm. Yeah, good question. I I think the first thing uh, is I think we underestimate the role of the role of God in helping us find friends. Even if I reflect on my life, I, I think I've prayed for friends for most of my life. I've not really prayed for the making of friends very often. And yet what I see beautifully revealed in scripture is that God is the great connector. And I, I don't know about you, Rally, I've got I've got a few friends who are off the chart connectors in, in life. Malcolm Gladwell, the author, says that there are these people who, who, are, who, are, who have this almost superhuman ability to connect to lots of people. And so I've got a connector friend called Andy. And I know a lot of my other friends because I know Andy. I don't know whether you've got friends like that in your life, Riley. You just know, and they've just connected you to loads of other people, right? And and so I think I think the, the first piece of advice, for, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not yet a Christian, I'm about to talk about God. If for, for you in this moment, find an Andy first, but God's important as well. But, but the Andy, Andy's a really important point because, because people, we find connectors who have this superhuman friendship ability who connect us to others. But I would also say we underestimate, I would say God is the great connector. And I, I kind of like, you know, this is not, this is not theology. This is philology. I kind of picture God chatting with the angels, you know, going, you know, before, before we had this conversation, you know, rally, he, he's there going, do you know what tonight guys, Phil and rally are going to meet and that, that, that they are really going to get on. Honestly, it's going to be, it's going to be, they live the completely other sides of the Atlantic ocean, but they're going to be great mates. Do you know? And, and I just, I picture God doing that. And I, th- I think with some of my friends, that's kind of worked out. I love, I love the moment. I mean, so much happens. I'm an evangelist. So much happens at the cross. But one of the things that we don't often talk about that happens at the cross as the son of God is dying for the sins of the world is that he says to his mother, here is your son of John. Mm. And he says to John, here is your mother. Mm-hmm. And it's it, as, as he's dying, you know, as, he's, as he's pushing himself up on the nails to take each breath is agony. He has the presence of mind to make a family and make connections. And I think there's something we sometimes miss there of God's desire, inclination, and heart to bring people together. And so when Jesus was choosing his disciples, he spends a night praying about who he should choose. I don't think we pray anywhere near as much for the friends that God wants us to have. And so my first huge bit of advice is when it comes to making friends, Pray for the friends you need to be with. So that's the first bit of advice. I think beyond that, become the friends that you want to have. 
So think about the person that you are. And, and if you're looking at the person that you are, try to be the friends that you would want to have. And that involves all kinds of things in terms of character and the, the principles we've talked about, about time, presence, vulnerability, sacrifice. But it also means there's things like, you know, as, as you have embodied in this conversation, asking great questions. So there's something I think we've lost in the, in the heart and the art of friend making where we're not very good at asking questions. Popular people aren't interesting. They're interested. And I think there's something about the art of really wanting to get to know someone, really being interested in them. Most people want to, including myself often, want to talk more about themselves than they do about uh, other people. And, and as we do that, we uncover common ground, get to know someone, build a friendship on that. But then it's through vulnerability, time and presence that we really seek to deepen those friendships. Um, and so in terms of choosing, th those foundations are really key. But you'll find also as you come to choose friends, it'll be through that stretch of vulnerability that as others stretch with you, you'll find naturally some of those friendships deepen and some don't. And that's a really good guide in terms of the wisdom of making friends. I found after I wrote my first book and it came out, as you know, having written books, you have this three to four month span where you are on the phone with your publisher consistently. You're doing all sorts of interviews. You are consistently telling people about the subject matter that you studied and you are an authority of some sort and you're just speaking on this and you're doing it so much that for me, I got into this rigmarole. Like it was this, I got stuck in this pattern of just talking about me and not listening to other people. And I wasn't present at all. It was like I was on autopilot because I was so busy. And I was just so used to telling people because they were interested and they were doing the right thing. And then, you know, after kind of the bottom fell out with the pandemic and I was already kind of on this journey, mm. but I got to a point where I wanted to embody something, a quality, if you will, of Fred Rogers that I always loved. Mr. Rogers, who basically raised most of us who are in our 30s and 40s in America. I don't know how it was on the other side of the pond, but. We loved ourselves. We thought he was a little creepy at points because he was too friendly. And in the 80s, no one knew what to do with that. But he was so amazing and so excited and so focused on everyone he interviewed. He was just interested. And I hmm. love how you talk about this dichotomy of being interesting versus being interested and being excited about what other people are experiencing. And then this was something that I'm like, I want to emulate that because I want to become that. I want to be able to sit with anyone and actually be excited about their lives. Mm. And if they want to be excited about mine, great. I would love to talk about it. But I learn more when I ask questions about other people because God is doing something in their lives and it's a beautiful thing. And it's kind of cool to intersect with that. Because when you connect with that, God starts doing things in similar ways in your life. And when you celebrate the wins and mourn the failures with other people, like scripture is very clear about this. It gives us a guide to friendship where it says, mourn with those who mourn. You know, it's like being present, be vulnerable, walk with them as they're going through this hard time, but be interested. I love that. And yeah, Mr. Rogers in his cardigan really taught me that because 
I'll never forget in one episode, he's interviewing this little child and I'm looking at this kid and I'm like, I mean, he's all right, but I don't know if this kid's going to teach me the truths about the world. But even in that, Mr. Rogers has tapped into this idea that it's out of the mouth of babes that wisdom comes. And it's so easy for us to flock to the people that we believe can give us something. The people that we can get something from. The, the celebrity culture, when God is saying, I'm laying it out on a platter for you. And I have these amazing people that are there just disguised in the ordinary. Ask questions, dive in, get to know them. And you talk about this difference between finding God and then finding Andes, finding people who, like God in a sense, are connectors, and they're going to connect you to subject matter, but also people, and to really dig deep in those. And you really, I, 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 need, I need to ask a follow-up question here, because you kind of stumped me when you talked about praying for the making of friends versus the praying for friends. Because I, like you, man, I've prayed for friends. I'm like, God, give me good friends. But I stopped short of praying, God, help me make friends. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think that, that's like the secret sauce here. I mean, that is, that's good. Like, that's really challenging. Like, praying for the making of friends. Because I think that's going to change things about us as well as the people that we allow into our lives. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think there's a general principle here which pl- applies to lots of life, uh, but, but especially the friendship. I love the way, you know, we were talking before we came on the, the, the podcast about how we partner with God. I think so much of life is about partnering with God. And I think a real guiding verse is when John 5, 19, where Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Right. And I think, I think there's something about what it is to be human, to be constantly having your eyes open for divine activity. And I think there's something about if we have that same attitude to friendship, we reckon we begin to recognize the pathways through which friendship happens. And also we, we invite as, as a, Christian, you have the relational God who lives inside inside you. You know, God is God is a, a relational entity in Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Both of those, that's a dynamite, that's a dynamite combination, right? You yeah. the, 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 the triune God lives within us. And then we seek to partner with God in the world in the making of friends. And I think then we become students of that ha- the how that happens and the process that that happens. Both those things lead to the making of great friends. But that prayer thing of constantly within our rhythms of prayer, within our, within our just trying to embody Jesus within the world, lead to the making of great, great friends. And I think in, in my experience, when I think about the friends that I've made, there is no way that those connections would have happened without some kind of God intervention. And you're right. We often just miss that. We think that God saves us and then says, all right, go love me and go love other people. You're on your own. And that's not it. You know, the gospel is not just for unbelievers. Like Tim Keller once said that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. It's the air we breathe. Hmm. And I love that because I need to be reminded 
I need the law to remind me that I am in need of someone who never broke the law, Hmm. someone who was perfect, someone who was not only perfect, but they were perfect in my place. Hmm. And I think in friendships, knowing that this perfect triune God not only lives for us, he not only intercedes for us, but he is working providentially through everything that we're experiencing to bring the people into our lives that we need and to bring us into the lives of others so that we intersect in a way where iron is sharpening iron, we are growing and we're being conformed to the image of Christ as we're suffering. Friendship is not just for the sunny days. It's for those really difficult times. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and there is a degree of agency and choice within that as well. So yeah. what, I don't, what, I don't, what I wouldn't want to communicate to listeners is just wait for friendships to happen. That's I think right. there's also some really good biblical principles about walking with the wise, you know, bad company, corrupting good character. So there's some real good wisdom as to who we spend time with and having the balance right. So in my book, I talk about radiators and drains. So one of the things that's really dangerous in an individualistic world is to make friendship all about us. And especially if we draw those circles and put us at the the beginning and say, how can friendship deserve my needs? But we also follow a Jesus who said, there is no greater love than they that lay their life down for their friends. So Mm. we do need people who bring us life, who are the radiators, but we also can't choose friends solely on that basis. If we only what they do for us. Yeah, exactly. So if we only spend time with people who who we get the gift of friendship from, then then we're doing others and and what it means to follow Jesus a disservice. There are other people who need our time, affection, attention, interest, uh, who who are who are sometimes the more difficult characters. And and so my mum, my late mum had this beautiful imagery of radiators and drains. And so she would try and have the balance. We need to spend time with radiators, but also if we only spend time with people who make us feel good, there's a there's a there's possibly an imbalance there because the call of the Christian faith and distinctively Christian friendship is to also be friends with people who might be not wanted by others. And as my mum also observed, and this is beautiful, she observed that some of the people who she found herself at w- some points in life who would drain her in the end, partly probably because the life that she could, she would give in the end became radiators themselves, not only to her, but to others. And that is an amazing game-changing truth. And I think that is, yeah, it's an absolute game-changer because we can totally make it about us. But I've found in my own life that sometimes, I love how you talk about it in terms of radiators and drains. Sometimes when I'm investing, because I think I said this before we started the podcast, that Sometimes like I'm 60 to 80% holding the friendship together and the other person's at 20, but then sometimes that flip-flops. Yeah. And sometimes a drain can become a radiator because you've invested in them. And I've found that the people who are going through the hard times and things aren't cheery, those are also the people when I'm going through a hard time that they know exactly what to do. And when no one else is to be found, it's those people who show up and they're there. They show up and they show out. And I love that because, yeah, sometimes we may be doing the majority of the work in a friendship. And sometimes someone else is doing the majority of the work for us. Hmm. It's, it's easy to talk about radiators and drains and picture yourself as a radiator. But yeah. sometimes we're the drain. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. 
And I love how you talk about that agency because it reminds me of this terrible joke that I heard in church when I was a kid. It was this idea of this guy, he's on a mountain and the waters are coming up and he's being flooded and someone asks him, well, do you want to get out of here? And he's like, no, God will provide. And then the waters get higher and someone comes up on a boat. Do you want to get out of here? I got a boat. No, God will provide. Waters get higher. A helicopter shows up. Do you want to get out of here? You're about to be flooded out. You're going to drown. No, God will provide. Then he drowns. And he asks God, he says, where were you? You didn't provide for me. And he's like, listen here, dude. I provided a car, a boat, a helicopter, and you didn't choose any of it. Beautiful. And, and I think in friendships, that's it. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a big fan of the idea of the theology of the cross, that mm. it's in suffering that we find our sanctification and our growth and even our friendship. And that doesn't mean we willfully suffer. You're, you're going to suffer. That's life. This side of Genesis 3, you're not always going to be going through an optimal moment. But it's in those moments where we can be the radiator for someone, we can be the drain, but it's navigating that with other people as they're navigating it, choosing the people that maybe they should be on the inner circle during this season and maybe this person's on the outer circle, but recognizing who's a friend and who's an acquaintance. I think that's important. And I think we discover that as we're really reacting to our own vulnerability and reacting to situations that life presents to us. But as you're talking about radiators and drains, how would you suggest that we end unhealthy friendships? Well, there's two ways friendships end. Number one is gradual and a slow kind of fizzle out and others with a big bang. And so you can kind of, you can kind of choose if you like. I think, I think the, one of the easiest things to do is, is to is to just, if we think about the friendships that we want to intensify, we turn up the volume on time and presence and vulnerability and sacrifice. And, and then we think about those friendships that we want to gradually diminish because actually, you know, if we are going to have space in our inner circles for, for better friends, sometimes we need to move people gently out the circles and that, that sometimes feels unkind and it feels awkward. But we need to also remember that that Jesus had some pretty awkward moments with the disciples where he said on a number of occasions in the gospels to nine of his disciples, you wait there, Peter, James, and John with me. Do you know who I feel really sorry for? Andrew, because Andrew was Peter's brother and James and John went to go, Peter gets to go. And not only that, it was Andrew who introduced Peter to Jesus. Poor, poor old Andrew. But in the end, in the end, what we see with Jesus, he is deliberately exclusive with a few people. And so therefore, sometimes we do need to create space. So I think, I think my suggestion would be, if at all possible, if we're looking to, you know, think about kind of just distancing ourselves slowly, turning the volume down on those, on those kind of core things of time, presence, vulnerability, and sacrifice, in the end, hopefully... And, and then at the same time, you, you want to pray that that those people who you are turning the volume down would find friendship elsewhere. And as I say, it is also a balance because I think I, I'm also an I'm also an evangelist, and I recognise that certainly in the UK, I guess it would be similar in America. Most people who come to faith, the biggest human agent is a friend, a neighbour, a colleague, or a family member. We don't become friends with people to convert them. I want to be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. We become friends with people because we're made in the image of the relational God. Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
Right. But we do recognize that it's often through friendship that people come to faith. So sometimes you, we, we are tempted to think that as Christians, we shouldn't be friends with not yet Christians. Well, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. And so we do need to maintain, I think, a good balance of friendships between Christians and not yet Christians. But sometimes I've observed that balance of non-Christians can bring about some of the situations uh, you've described where there's a kind of a toxicity or actually there's an unhelpful influence and our character begins to be corrupted in those situations. We just need to think about redressing the balance. And so maybe a different paradigm of radiators and drains are those who bring us spiritual life and those who we seek to influence. But we need to make also no mistake that as, as followers of Jesus, as the light of the world, we are the influencers, not the influenced. And that's another real challenge that we need to balance within our friendships. Phil, in these last moments, what are a couple of pieces of advice you would give to our listeners who they've listened to this episode and they're thinking, how do I make better friends? How do I become a better friend? I, I would talk about the, the things we've mentioned, really. I think, first of all, first of all, really pray. The, the way to become the best of friends is to spend time with the best of friends, capital letters. Wow. And he has a name and his name is Jesus. Mm. And so as we become more like the best friend of them all, we become a better friend. And, and there's that beautiful phrase, isn't it? If you want friends, be a friend. And, and the best way to become the best friend you can be is spending time with the best of friends. So that's the first piece. I think then, I think my encouragement is to, to learn the art of friendship. And for those of us, Rally, who uh, identify with perfectionism, sometimes we can think mm-hmm. that the, the journey to friendship is, has to be perfect. Yeah, got to have it all together. Can't mess up, can't fail. Right. There are no oven ready friendships. And every friendship journey is a journey of stretch and it takes time. And when I say it takes time, I don't mean three coffees. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I sometimes mean three decades. Yeah. Because I think that's the other thing we've not leaned into, you know, yet in, in, in this conversation, that it just takes time. Yes. And by time, we mean hour after hour, week after week, year after year of being there. And, and I, I think in our quick fix instant world, we can think, you know, well, I'll spend six months with someone and then we'll be best friends. And the reality is that most friendships are decades in the making, or the, certainly the best of friendships. And so I think that's my, I know on expectations really in terms of how to become friends, but those principles remain. Spending time, being with one another, dropping everything when the proverbial hits the fan, laying down our lives for one another, but also testing those boundaries of vulnerability where we open our hearts to one another it feels like weakness, but it looks like courage. And as we do, we develop trust. And those building blocks begin to get in place in the house. But most great friendships are not just little hovels. They're mansions, they're castles, and, and they take years to, to maintain and, and grow. And I think that's the most beautiful part, because oftentimes when we talk about friendship, we couch it in this transactional light of what can this person give to me? But you've already told us throughout this entire conversation that there are four key characteristics of your giving time, you're becoming vulnerable, you're sacrificing, and you're being present. And this is a gift that we give to our friends and our would-be friends. And this is a gift that they give. And it's a dance that, like you said, it's 
not going to happen overnight. You may have those people that crop up and, wow, this is great. But it's over time that we really realize what we have. Yeah. And I think my final plea to us would be that this stuff really matters. Mm. I think we're in a loneliness epidemic as a world. Mm-hmm. We're drowning in, in isolation. And this stuff really matters. It really is a matter of life and death. The gift of friendship that you give to another will, will, has unbelievable health benefits. It matters for discipleship. It matters to our souls. It really, really matters. And it is the need of the hour. In the last few weeks, the World Health Organization has said that loneliness is a pressing global health concern. And I think this is one of the great gifts that we offer to the world as the church at the moment. And that combined with the good news of Jesus is amazing. But that, this friendship stuff is, is, is just the stuff we need right now. And it's interesting because a lot of us, as we're processing our own loneliness, we think, well, I just need a spouse or I just need a significant other when some of my most lonely friends are people who've been married for years. Mm. You yeah. know, a spouse is a, it's a type of friend. Yeah. But ultimately we need community. We need friendship. Yeah. And, and you have, yeah, you've given us a master class. So thank you for talking to us all the way from Birmingham. Appreciate <laughs> it. Great <laughs> Thanks for your time today, man. I've really, I've really appreciated the conversation. Thanks. And it's been a drop in the ocean. We'd genuinely love if, if listeners want to explore more. There's the, the book, The Best of Friends, is 192 pages of my thoughts over the last... Over and it'll the be last, in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah. I want people to well, interact we, with we, it. Love, would love people just to, just to... Just because this matters, would love people to explore that further. Well, Phil, thank you so much, man. It's been a real joy. If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at mercycast.com. This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.